I'm really well, really excited. The sun is out. The guns are um, kind of out. I, I know you know David Prentice because you worked with him. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I've worked with him for a few years in the mid-90s. There is another name from Scouse football in the mid-90s who features in your book, Futsal, the story of an indoor football revolution. Can you name that curly-haired winger? Uh, I think you're talking about Steve McManaman. Stephen, as his nomenclature goes in the book, when he was still Stephen. But El Macca is a wonderful book. Because I love how it's a fish-out-of-water story, but he can clearly hold his own against all these Brazilians. Um, have you spoken to him about that? Do you know, do you know Macca? No, no, no. I, I tried to uh, speak to several people, Steve McManaman included, for the book, and it was very difficult to track people down and obviously once I got writing then it was I realised I didn't need to speak to as many people as I thought I did so it would have been nice but uh, but no I didn't manage it we used to play against him he was the same age as me at school he was in a rival school and primary and secondary school played against him many times and yeah he was a bit of a superstar from age sort of eight, nine upwards it was quite clear what I get from the book which is about futsal football de salau as I knew it as indoor football hall football many names um, but we'll go with Futsal because that's the title of the book. Any one of these teenagers from the Liverpool area could have been a superstar. It's just what you do with it. And the player who comes off most brilliantly in the book is young Wazza, as he, as he probably wasn't then. No one called him Wazza, did they? Not that I knew of. I mean, I interviewed a, an old friend of his, Anthony Smith, who works for the Liverpool County FA now, and he went to school same school as him, which I also went to, a school called De La Salle out in Croxton. And um, he didn't share with me the fact that he was called Wazza as a kid. But, but yeah, he, he I mean, has, as, as I mentioned in the book, uh, David Moyes famously described Wayne Rooney as uh, the last of the true street footballers when he was speaking to the Cambridge University Union uh, when he was Everton manager. And, uh, and I don't think you can argue with that. And I think I tried to uncover a little bit of the... The, the story behind Wayne and, and, and use it as, as, as a way to talk about street football, the lost art of street football. Uh, the chapter's called Wayne Rooney's Street Spot, which sort of hints at my little play on words to try and describe the street and the environment that gave us. It was there. We didn't have to pay for it. It was literally on our doorsteps. Um, we, we, we could play. It was breathless immersion in constant games, constant competition, ownership of the kids, and, and obviously... It's a bit of a cliche to say that's all we did morning, noon and night, but many people did. And obviously Wayne Rooney's identity as a player when he burst onto the, onto the scene, scoring that goal against Arsenal and then returning two hours later to play in this very courtyard area in Croxteth where I went and interviewed Anthony Smith about it. He was playing with him two hours after the game. So all these things make you realise that Rooney was a complete player of his generation, the sort of player that we don't really see that often anymore, because even the most free-form type players, the Jack Wheelishers, they've spent a dozen years in an academy before they got there, and, and nobody plays on the street anymore. No. So I've linked this to futsal because, I, in a nutshell, I view futsal as a potential replacement of the lost art of street football. I think that's such a persuasive argument in the book, which starts off with a potted history. I actually, I went to bed last night and then thought, I've got a great intro for my chat with Jamie Fahi or Fahey. I don't know how to pronounce it. You choose. I, I get all manner of things. Uh, that, that, that's fine. I think it's become more Fahi. It used to be Fay when I was a kid. Simplified version, which my dad insisted on. 
I answer to anything. Well, because Siobhan off of Bananarama is Siobhan Fahe, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's, that's how it's pronounced now. Yeah. Jamie Fahey, your book, Futsal, the story of an indoor football revolution. And it was, much like the ball, kept rolling and kept rolling. Uh, I've got two opening propositions, but I'll just say that I'm, I've definitely got a Melvin Bragg hat on today. You know how you can condense the most complex subject in the history of the world, like Magna Carta, into 42 minutes. That essentially is what we're trying to do with futsal. People will kind of know what it is. Uh, Danny Taylor, the great Danny Taylor, the journalist of his age, uh, who was a colleague of yours before he went to a VC-backed football website. Superb. As stylish of any as any of the great Brazilians whose skills gave us this sport. Well, my first question is kind of one that I hope Danny Taylor would ask you. What's more important to football today, money or futsal? Clearly money, which is a problem, but that's, but that's not the way it should be. And in fact, well, I mean, the, t- the two are linked because it, it's, it's slightly trite and, and uh, again, another cliche to trot this one out. But we do know and we've all heard and many football fans will have probably only heard of futsal through the eyes or, or through, the, through, through the various quotes that have come from the biggest and best footballers of the, of the last couple of generations, whether it's from Pelé, from Rivellino, through the Brazilians of the 70s and 80s, uh, Zico, Adair, Socrates, etc. They've all proselytized about futsal. And then since then, you've got all the Spanish players of Xavi and Iesta, Messi and Ronaldo, of course, Cristiano I'm talking about, but also the proper Ronaldo. The Phenomenal Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah, I've got a picture Phenomenal. of him scoring yep. in the 2002 final. On my wall, Indeed. in the bright yellow The one against Turkey, the, the fame, one of the famous Topolks, again, the massive import from futsal. That was a, a key game. But yes, but essentially what I'm trying to say is that the futsal, all these players being formed in futsal for football, they're creating massive saleable assets for clubs. Um, so, so futsal is linked to the, to, the, to, to the money, but there ain't much money in futsal. That's the problem. That's the difference I'm making. The foot, the, the money all goes to football. It's quite interesting at the moment. We're talking about a, a second, an extra World Cup. Um, Arsene Wenger's sudden um, conversion to this bizarre, brainless idea, and and it's ironic that in that that that, that interim between the, the the World Cups where they are, that two year. Um, window we've got the futsal world cup which has just taken place i went to it last month in lithuania and um and it was postponed for a year but that should have taken place now it's just a no-brainer for me the fifa which runs futsal and that's i've covered the history of the game how fifa took over the game in the 80s fifa should just put some serious investment and actually back and market properly the futsal world cup and you know i think that would be a much better option it is such a shame that such a divergence exists between futsal and football. FIFA took it under their wing, uh, and it was the great figure of Joao Havelange who spotted he was he spotted the greatness of futsal. Uh, but there is one fundamental thing that we need to know in our time style is that futsal. Um, this is kind of it's also Stephen Fry. Where did futsal originate? And Alan Davis would say Brazil, and he'd lose some points. But um... <laughs> yeah, but well, not among Brazilians. See, they'd be happy. It's been a matter of debate for decades. But the, I think that the final acceptance among the warring parties of Uruguay and Brazil was that it was born in Uruguay in 1930 and raised in Brazil. 
because that's where it became, Brazil became synonymous with futsal during the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, until it came into Europe in the in the 70s. Um, but basically, it was started in a, it started as a result, it came out of necessity, and the necessity was caused by a lack of space, a lack of space outdoors in Uruguay. And who knew it rained a lot in Uruguay? That was news to me, I found out. But you go back to 1930. They just won the World Football World Cup, having won Olympic gold in 24 and 28 as well, the men's team. So football was massive in Uruguay, and there was a huge wave of immigration on the back of the Wall Street crash, uh, immigration from Europe, mainly France, Italy, and Spain, adding to this massive uh, pool of people who wanted to play football. And outdoors in Uruguay, there was a real lack of space because a lot of the football pitches, slightly in parallels with today in Britain, a lot of the football pitches were privatised. They were too expensive. You couldn't get on them. So this guy called uh, um, Professor Cariani, an Argentinian who was living in Montevideo, he set about creating a new game, which was an indoor version of football. He wanted it to be a more civilised version of football. And he, uh, he lent on handball, water polo and basketball for, for the creation of the rules. And it, it, it evolved over the decades. But Brazil soon took off in Brazil, outdoors and in. And basically what they decide, what, what they, what, how it evolved in South America as opposed to what it is today, they played it on a basketball court. And when it moved into Europe with the big dominance of handball in Europe, then it became uh, played on a, on a handball size course, which is more 40-20, whereas a basketball court is 28 metres by 15. So again, historically, the Brazilian and the South American players have evolved playing on an even tighter court, and that has been credited with their skills being even more enhanced than the European equivalent. One of the things that I learned from the history of the game, there was this odd initial spate of injuries and I was trying to visualise it, and all I could hear was kind of... Duh, 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 duh. Obviously, injuries would happen. But <laughs> you couldn't touch the ball if you put your palm on the ground or your fingertip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were various bizarre rules that were, um, were imposed on the game as it did evolve. And it was different parts of Brazil had different rules, etc. But yeah, you apparently... And I, I can only envisage it was... a. I don't know. I don't know about the history. There's a book for you, Johnny. The history of crab football. I don't know whether you played that as a kid. Yeah. Where you had, yeah, to, yeah. You had to hover around on, on on your backside trying to play football. We did that in youth clubs many times. It strikes me as similar to crab football. I think they didn't want people um, being on the floor and playing that way. So if your hands were touching the floor, yeah, you were essentially out of the game. So I guess it, it led to it led to a, an outbreak of really severe shoulder injuries. And um, as people were desperately trying to avoid touching the ground, so they just fall without touching the ground, so they could keep, keep an eye on the ball. And as I say in the book, I think it probably ended up with um, futsal being in being um, the most dangerous sport in Brazil, yeah, a that... huge, huge country where motor racing is very uh, popular as well. So that was quite an achievement. Uh, that reminds me of Brian Clough's famous team talk that he gave Sean Dice. He went, there's the ball, look after her, on you go. Which is one of my favourite Sean Dye stories. Talking of managers, Steve Bruce has just got a magnificent redundancy payment uh, with Newcastle. Oh, I have now asked two people to stop using the phrase war chest in relation to the transfer kitty that the new Newcastle manager is going to get. So can I extend that? Obviously, Barney and Johnny and David and John Wilson, the best football team in the world at The Guardian, they don't need me to 
tell them what words to avoid because it's the story. And we should say as well, you are the production editor? Yeah, on the news. Yeah, on the oh, news section. Yeah, on the news section. Yeah, I don't work on sports. So, um, yeah, my day job is, um, is, is rewriting other people's um, perfectly honed prose and, and writing headlines and et cetera on, uh, on the news section. I, um, yeah. I met Jessica Elgott because I know her husband, David, uh, All right. who is an actor and a, a theatre practitioner. Uh, but Jessica, I think, is that deputy news, deputy politics. You will have seen her Political yeah, yeah, yeah. Deputy political answer, I think, yeah. And I've, I've read The Guardian since university. Sometimes, as you can imagine, it gets a bit proselytising, but that's the history of the paper. Comment is free, and that's why there's so much of it. But facts are sacred, and these are the facts. These are the facts. So we'll get to him in the second half. Um, but we should explain what you talk about futsal about in this book. Uh, it is football in the hall, a thinking person's game, and my favourite Chaos Theory in Action. Uh, it's also one of the only books, apart from Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid, where you get diagrams in it. So can you take us through the rise of the formations and what your favourite futsal formation is? Well, this, this uh, yeah, there is, a, there is a chapter devoted to the tactics. And I didn't want to overburden uh, readers with too much tactics because essentially I want this to be a, a, a book that, that offers football fans who might have heard of futsal they might have some odd ideas about what it is offer them an in on 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 just how uh, inextricably linked it is to football but also the the clear differences as a sport in its own right so so i wanted it to be quite broad brush but yeah tactically it's five aside so you've got you've got a goalkeeper obviously uh, um, but but four out on court players and traditionally as futsal grew up when it moved into Europe in the 70s, it was generally played in a 3-1 formation and the forward in futsal is called a pivot. Well, the word pivot didn't exist in the 80s. It wasn't a thing. Um, it was a centre midfielder. It was Peter Reid. You know? But these days, he'd be called a pivot. And anyway, he, um, so in futsal, it's, um, it, it's the forward player and then it was three players who would rotate. They would exchange positions, but generally they wouldn't they wouldn't go and interfere with the pivot, be a strict 3-1. In the, in the sense that in a football attacking 4-2-3-1 formation, you've got that forward 3-1. and one. But what happened was that um, the, uh, the the game evolved in the 70s and 80s and and um, it was a Brazilian coach called Zago who realised that he wanted a way to try and compete with stronger teams. So he struck on this idea, which has got striking parallels to the false nine in football, of playing 4-0. When in effect, you don't have a forward. You have four players who move about, they rotate, they're all able to do all types of different roles, and they constantly interchange, all in an attempt to get the defensive players on one line so there's space in behind because remember there's no offside in futsal and there are lines so the ball has to stay on the court there are none of these walls there are no walls like there are in conventional British uh, five-a-side so there has to be tactical awareness around how you try and create space to score so that's my favourite now but the thing is about formations as I would say this in football and futsal I mean the formations are one thing but it's about the principles behind your movement and how you create space and how you exploit space so while that formation is my favourite I think 
that can be done badly if you're not aware of what you're trying to achieve. And we see this in lots of youth futsal in, in, in England because it's a growing sport and it's a new sport where people just try to play a formation but they don't understand the principles about why they're doing it. So in that sense, I would probably say go and play a 3-1. At least it's more understanding of the fact that you've got a forward player and you've got three players who can support and protect and, and seek to exploit space. Thank you. Does and those, that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Those, uh, yes, coach. Uh, the, the, you've got two wingers and a stopper at the back. And, uh, I don't know, someone's looking for the golden snitch at some point. Um, I mean, without being, without being too dumb, is there Quidditch and futsal overlap? Could Quidditch players become futsal players? Because that's all about finding space and looking for movement. Well, yeah, well, no, that's not a tough question. I mean, without going all overly coachy, I mean, you know, any invasion sport, any invasion game yeah, where you've got... the polo handball game. Yeah, a goal and, um, and areas, opposition hearts and teams who try to get an object into the goal. You know, the, the principles apply. The principles are the same. And basketball is a great example because futsal, although I always say to people when they ask me what it is, I say, well, it looks like football because it does because you kick a ball with, with your foot. Uh, generally, you can head it, etc. The goalkeeper is a goalkeeper. But, but, but it feels like basketball when you're on the court because of the, the breathless intensity and the, the camp, constant counter-attacking and because there are, the, the game is subject to a potent cocktail of constraints that ensure that, 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 that when the ball is rolling, everyone is involved, which makes it so immersive. That's one of the big things that drew me into to, to futsal and I still play now age 49 well I say play I go on the court you know, I, 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 I uh, yeah I do I hobble afterwards good <laughs> yeah, but, so, yeah please yeah. please warn up correctly that's that's why yeah indeed yeah yeah, yeah. too you, many popped car muscles yeah you call it a but, hot um, house of excitement which is a great description you you actually sell the sport fantastically in this book it is futsal which is uh, which I saw I was wandering through foils and picked it up, and I'm so sorry I didn't know about it. It's published by Melville House. So at this point, I should ask, how did you get the book off the ground? They're based in New York. Um, they're quite a sort of radical publisher in New York, uh, and um, and they tend to focus on books with a social cultural uh, impact. And I think that's why they were interested in futsal because they see it as a sport that has potential to grow and, and obviously there's a really nice guy the editor of the UK office which is in London and they um, a guy called Tom Clayton and he approached me because I'd written about it in the Guardian a few times and, and asked me if I wanted to write a book and as I said at the time I said not a chance I haven't got the time and obviously my wife totally agreed with this but then three years later I came up with it and uh, 90,000 words later uh, there it is but but I yeah I think what struck me about the idea that Tom came up with uh, was was that he didn't want it to just be the history of futsal um, but he wanted to find out why I got involved and that's where we had two or three introductory chapters about me growing up in Liverpool playing street football in the 70s and 80s Everton, Liverpool, breathless nature of street football and the uncanny devotion to conventional five-a-side as I was growing up. We played it all the time. There's massive events in Liverpool. Uh, and then how I grew to learn about futsal and I covered that in, 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 in chapters about the 1990s and then a bit later. It really, it whips through the, the history of futsal in a very engaging manner and uh, the chap, is it Zego? Yes, Zego, yes. who's not his real, not his birth name, but in a Brazilian style league. Yeah, um, yeah. He was the chap who invented the 4-0, uh, the 4-0 setup. Yeah. But I'm, 
the best kind of book is when you have a subjectively objective narrator. The narrator who, like Henry Winter or Danny Taylor to an extent, is you put yourself in and then draw back so that the narrative can be told. And you are the right person to write this book, which is why it's magnificent, because you are the kind of kid who played football in a car park without cars with Lego figures. And you've got to tell me about these subway tunnels in West Derby Road. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so uh, the, 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 where I grew up, there's a famous nightclub in, in Liverpool. It doesn't, it, it's closed now, but it's called the Grafton. Anyone who knows anything about Liverpool has probably, has probably been there. The Beatles played there um, back in their heyday and it, it turned in, into quite a notorious nightclub. And so that was at the end of our street. And then there was a maternity hospital on one side, uh, the biggest maternity hospital in the city called Mill Road Hospital. And, um, and then a, a tobacco factory on the other side. So, so at the end of the street, to get over the road, there were two sub- subway tunnels. And obviously, it rains a lot in Liverpool, not quite as much as Manchester. It's balmy compared to Manchester. But it, um, obviously, they get blocked occasionally. And these were, these were probably about 30 metres long and, and, and about uh, three metres wide. And the, the entrances to the tunnels actually were strikingly similar to the size of a futsal goal, which is hockey size, two metres by three. But we would play in these when it started raining. But the problem was they'd often get blocked and the, and the, the drains would block. And so in the middle of the, from the centre of the tunnel outwards, a puddle would form over hours and it'd get bigger and bigger. So it just created this really interesting extra obstacle to street football where you had to actually get over this like two foot high um puddle in the middle of it and you know you you just you have to wade through or you'd clip it over and that was that was that was it it was playing it was playing with the elements literally it's uh, it's wonderful uh liverpool's people you write uh suffused with commonality a steely confidence uh and you do you write your dad into this story uh the next docker who became a sort of can i call him an odd job man uh, you can yeah 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 a master of all trades i call him he was Absolutely right. Uh, and I'm sure he was delighted uh, that you were occupying yourself playing lots of football, and especially this Merseyside police tournament. Is that still going on? No, it's not. Uh, I actually tried to find out from the County FA guys exactly when it stopped, and we think it was about 15 years ago, but, but, it, but, it, but, I, but I, I researched the origins of it, and obviously I, I talk about it in, in the context of, um, of a game... Uh, trying to sum up just how essential small-sided games were to the culture of Liverpool and both at the elite level, Liverpool FC playing five-a-side all the time in training, that was notorious. Uh, and Everton used to do it a lot as well in their pomp in the 1980s under Howard Kendall. But but at the grassroots level, yeah, in 1976, the Merseyside Police decided to form this annual competition which attracted about 10,000 boys playing in under 12, under 14, under 16 each year. Hundreds of teams, you'd be in heats, all organised by the local police station and uh, and eventually you'd have finals at Anfield or, or, or Goodison they would change each year and I got to the, the, the grand final in 1984 and played at Goodison and we lost on penalties in dramatic torturous circumstances as is detailed in the book but it was interesting that going back to the links to futsal and Brazil and all the things that, that were synonymous with football for me as a kid. And the team who beat us were called Sao Paulo. Well, they're actually called San Paulo because you pronounce it how you say it in Liverpool and um, or you say it how you pronounce it. And they beat us in the final. And that was, uh, that was harrowing, but it was memorable. 
Have you got your runners-up medal? I don't think I have got any medals left. Uh, yeah, no, I, sadly not. Sadly not. I, I can't even say I, I had to uh, pawn them or, or get rid of them, but uh, they're just gone. I don't know where they are. They'd be worth the literally, are there, though, Johnny. The li- are there. literally pennies today. We all know about what happened in Liverpool in the 80s and the managed decline. We're talking... This is not part of Scouse Fortnite, but we're talking within Scouse Fortnite, which is entirely accidental. Um, because I wanted to talk to you uh, after you got back from the Futsal World Cup, of which more in the second half. Football in, you're based in Reading now, in Berkshire, yeah. sunny Berkshire. The Croxteth Sports Centre opened in 1985. I think you said you used to play volleyball there. Is that now a mecca for futsal in the northwest? Well, no, I mean, sadly not. I, I, Futsal is played there. When, again, when I spoke to Anthony Smith at the county FA, that he, he, um, he, one of his, one of the main things he's doing in terms of getting people playing either football or futsal is to promote futsal. And he, he told me that he made sure they had futsal goals in Croxer Sports Centre and in Delacell, our old school, which is essential because the goals are one of the important components that distinguish the game from conventional British five side. So, so getting them in there is good. They're really expensive, you know, the metal three by two goals that I think they're about seven, eight hundred quid. So so they've got the goals in there, so Futsal is played there, but I don't know how how much of a mecca it is. And and, and one of the cultural aspects of Liverpool that's interesting actually, I think I've touched on this in the book, that that has prevented Futsal truly taking off in Liverpool. Because there is a Liverpool Futsal club, um, but I don't think they've they're one of the strongest uh, teams in the country, although they are strong. And I think it's the, 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 the real power and appeal of Sunday League football in Liverpool, because that, although that's struggling everywhere, in Liverpool's got this rich and, and, and potent history in Sunday League football, uh, particularly winning the National Sunday Cup. And that basically prevents people playing futsal, because futsal's played on a Sunday. At National League level, it's a Sunday game. So that's been a little bit uh, difficult, I think, for people to actually choose to play football futsal rather than Sunday League football and just to finish the first half I call me facetious if you want like with the Quidditch question but you say that one of the main competitors of football now especially street football of futsal is FIFA or Pro Evo so what advice do you give young people who are maybe thinking of how much money esports players get if they can put their 10,000 hours into futsal they'll be able to uh, well, their bodies will be better, but also from a community point of view, it's much better playing futsal than esports. Oh, obviously. I mean, but this is this is one of the other elephants in the room. There's loads of them. There's probably five elephants in the futsal. Room. Yeah, the five aside, um, yeah, so five aside elephant. Team. Indeed, one of them is one of them is the obesity. Uh, pandemic we've been living through for for a generation now. I mean, you don't need me to to, to cite the statistics, but I mean, that's why for a mass participation, easily accessible, utterly immersive, and great for fitness sport is, is, has got to be the answer. And 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 futsal futsal is that. And and I know and obviously the other aspect in terms of facilities, we have the facilities that are what twenty five thousand schools in in uh, in England. Um, I think about twenty thousand of them are state schools, primary, secondary, and and you know, and they've all got school halls, they've all got playgrounds, they've all got plays, places where people can play. And I think if we can just try and unlock those 
and allow and allow um, kids to play there and encourage them to play there. And futsal it does. It, it, you look at other countries where, where, the, where the sport is marketed, the sport is pushed and promoted. Portugal being a massive example, um, it's become a, a, a game of huge social relevance in Portugal, a mass participation game of the schools, as it is in Spain and Brazil and in Iran and many places around the world. And we we're so far behind that the, that that might seem like a negative, but there's so much growth there to be had. Indeed. Well, Keir Starmer, Andy Burnham, to a lesser extent Rishi Sunak, futsal will be a political football if you so wish it to be. Uh, Jamie Faye, you get your football library membership card. And I'm looking for a a futsal figure that you want on the card because you mention a few in this book. Uh, I would like to suggest Doug Reed. Doug would be fine by me. You know, Doug's, Doug's, Doug's one of England's most prominent and famous futsal players. And he's a real, um, a real advocate for the game. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with Doug Reed. That's fine. It was either going to be Doug Reed or Ricardinho. And, you know, Doug lives a lot closer to me. So, you know. Indeed. Uh, and I, I said to him, I'm talking to Jamie. Uh, and he said, yeah, I hope to see you at a game sometime soon. Uh, the Guardian has been very good, which is the paper you work for in the news department, but you're very good at explaining the balderdash surrounding the English FA's support of futsal. I mean, it's a, there was a reason why England didn't send a team to the Futsal World Cup. Yeah, I like the way you hesitated over the word support there, Johnny. It's quite appropriate. Yeah, uh, so basically, well, England didn't have a hope of sending a, a team to the World Cup anyway, really, because they've never got beyond the main round of qualifications. However, they've made incremental strides since the team was founded in 2003. And, and over the last three or four years, they have been competing in, in the qualifiers. And, you know, I would hope that if things would have progressed as they did, they would have had a chance of reaching a, a tournament, if not the World Cup, the Euros. Um, but it, it, last year, in, in, at, at the height of pandemic, panic at the FA they they hacked away at the futsal budget um, in an attempt to save I think it was 300 million over over three years and they, they hacked away 90% of the futsal budget which was ludicrous in my eyes because it was uh, it was less than a million pounds I think it was about, about 900 grand they saved and that meant that the England full adult men's team the under 23s and the under 19s were all scrapped at a stroke and, and, and that undermined the whole uh, pyramid, the pathway uh, from grassroots futsal to the top of the game. And it also then ended out of stroke the, the commitment that they made in 2018 to, to when they when, when futsal finally entered the FA's national game strategy, which was a huge, momentous achievement. They set down a six-year plan for the progress of the game. Yes, which meant that futsal is now on the curriculum at under-16 yes, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, exactly. So, so, and also they wanted to create a women's team. That's yeah. what I was going to get. My what I was going to make. So there are all these developments which have all just been swept away. However, it's still on the curriculum. They signed a deal with uh, Pokemon um, to promote youth futsal, which is still there. So I, I pr- presume the money is being put to just youth futsal rather than the overall game, adult game. And um, and it was a huge blow for the likes of Doug Reed and Stuart Cook and uh, a, a really great. Um, former semi-pro footballer and futsal player who's from Manchester um, and uh, Rayoni Medina who was born in Brazil played at Sporting Lisbon with, with Cristiano Ronaldo as a teenage footballer and then became England captain and naturalised Brazilian as England mm. captain all these guys who devoted all their lives or the last 10-15 years to it 
they're, they're sort of the, the, the pinnacle of their, their role as futsal players. All none of them professional, of course. Um, that was taken away, and 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 the FA obviously is sticking to its guns. But the team the team has gone, and it's a real block. It's a real well, but it's not without not without some bright lights on the horizon because the the, the national. Um, there are two national leagues, National Futsal Series and National Futsal League, and um, and the National Futsal Series is going from strength to strength at the moment. That's just got a, a deal with BT to screen, I think it's seven or eight um, days of games a, a season. The first one was two weeks ago, and that, that's that's a massive a massive deal, and that should give futsal a lot more publicity, a lot more airtime, and a lot more space to to show its value. You know, you know who's going to love futsal, Dazen. Dazen? What's it called? D-A-Z-N. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm a, I expected you to know that intimately, how to pronounce it. I've heard various... I've only seen it written down. Yeah. They're seriously interested in buying BT Sport. That's the news that I read in the Guardian's media. The great Jim Waterston uh, at the Guardian, whose columns I read all the time. So we could see futsal on BT Sport. We have seen futsal on the internet, obviously, because everything is there. Uh, and you covered the recent World Cup. But before we talk about the World Cup, a quick quiz just to bring the listener into what futsal is. How long does a futsal match last? 20 minutes each way, but the clock is stopped. So every time the ball goes out, the clock stops. So essentially a game starts to finish lasts about an hour and a half, similar to a football match. Yeah. Um, can goalies leave their half? Yes, the goalkeepers can go anywhere on the court. They can only pick up the ball in their goal area, like in football, but they can go anywhere, that, but they are subject to a restriction. The restriction is that in possession, they can only have the ball for four seconds. There's a four-seconds rule to kick-ins as well and by other players, kick-ins and corners. Any set-piece, you have four seconds to take it, but the goalkeeper can only have it in possession for four seconds in his own half. If he gets into the other half, which is common in futsal, a fly keeper, goalie in and out, it was called when I was a kid in street football, or rush goalie. Yeah. If he gets into the other half, the restrictions go, he can do. He can hold on to it for as long as he wants, and that's quite a bold and common tactic in futsal to try and dominate possession in the opposition half. The final restriction on the keeper is that once he's released the ball um, from his hands or a, or a pass uh, out of the goal, he can't touch it again until the opposition have touched it, unless he's in the opposition half. Does mm. that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, you're allowed, a team is allowed five fouls in a match. What happens on the sixth offence? On the sixth and every subsequent offence yes. after five fouls, the, the, the opposition are awarded a long penalty, and that's uh, a penalty taken from 10 metre mark. Um, the goalkeeper can come out as far as five metres, they don't have to stay on their line. And that's uh, called a long penalty um, because it's unlike a short penalty, a normal penalty is just a standard one from six metres with the goalkeeper's got to stay on his line. Last night, Diego Simeone did something that is very common in futsal. What is it? At 80 minutes involving four players. Ah, he made a Russian change. Correct. He changed four players. A Russian change, which I only learnt about this morning. But yes, yes, Simeone took off four players at one time, which you couldn't do in association football before the pandemic. I don't know if he's... Oh, he's probably not the first person to make four or more change. I think Mourinho was. But yeah, and they lost um, to uh, that team in red that plays across Stanley Park, whom we can't mention, because, Jamie, you are an Everton fan, a true blue. And in fact, you were a ball boy at the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final at Goodison against Bayern Munich. Is that Gert Müller's Bayern Munich? Or would he left? No, no, it was, 
it, it, no, he'd left by then. It was um, Dieter Hernes, it was um, Lothar Matthias, it was it was um, Karl Heinz Rummenigge's younger brother, Michael, and um, Klaus Argenthaler at the back, Jean-Marie Fach in goal. Yes, it was it was mighty Bayern Munich, but it was uh, it was the, it was the it wasn't the seventies area when they conquered all. It was the eighties when they were trying to regain their lofty status. Yes, and there are many chronicles of Everton from the golden years in the seventies and eighties, including Paul McParlin's book, The Forgotten Champions, Simon Hart's book, Here We Go, and Looking for the Toffees by Brian Viner. And in a weird quirk, I'm speaking to Brian after you, but uh, Brian's chat will go up. Uh, just in time for this weekend's, Andy Gray kicked it out of Stevie Sherwood's hand. It shouldn't have counted. Darby. 